Hello and welcome, dreamers, to episode four of the Dreamcast Years podcast. This is the OG, where we discuss one of the years during the golden age of gaming, which I've decided is between 1997 and 2008. Want to fight about it? Uh, We'll cover a number of big games released in the UK that year and decide if they're a game changer, a game, or just plain old crap. So, welcome to the new millennium. Sorry, I mean the new decade. Actually, I mean both. Yes, we're now in the 20s, which, as someone who studied history, is an odd thing to say. Uh, Whether they'll be roaring is yet to be seen, but if last last decade is anything to go by, there'll be a whole lot of flapping. Um, We're also going to be covering the turn of the millennium this time as we look at gaming in the year 2000. Uh, Feel free to let the song Millennium by Robbie Williams play in your head as we talk all about this particular year, as I can't afford to pay for the licensing. Sorry. Actually, I'm not. So there. Um, This was a big year, especially for the much-loved Dreamcast. In the US and Europe, it was actually its only full year properly on sale and supported by Sega, shockingly, as in January 2001, it was marked for death, eventually being discontinued on March the 31st of that year. Uh, However, this year saw some real corkers corkers come out for the system, uh, though other consoles weren't short on great releases either. So, let's get this party started. Oh, sorry, no, that song wasn't released until next year. Um, I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Uh, Joining me, as ever, is my co-host with the co-best beard. Uh, I'll explain that in a moment. It's the man who probably hasn't played that game you're thinking about. It's Richard. Hello, Rich. Have you played that game? Uh, Definitely not, no. No. I couldn't. (laughs) Without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, we can confirm. Uh, And you doing all right? I'm doing great, thank you. I'm a bit, um, got my husky uh, podcasting voice on tonight. I've had a few beers, so it makes me sound a lot better on the mic, so it's... Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. that's that's what you're going with. Okay, um, yeah, no. how, how many beers exactly? Uh, six. Oh, okay. That'd yeah, be me on the water. floor. It's all good. Uh, fair <laughs> enough. Um, so um, now to introduce the other guy with a great beard uh, we like him so much that we decided to bring him on full time for the OG show so please welcome my other co-host who loves a solid snake it's Steve how you doing hello hi I'm good thank wait wait I, I love a what solid snake the character oh, okay, you know from Metal Gear Solid <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh-huh sure uh-huh. <laughs> mm. um, I just had to say you are you're very much on your game with your song puns today good job thank good job. you I have more to come, plenty more. Um, (laughs) So, um, our guest this time is someone who should be able to tell us an awful lot about the Dreamcast in this year, as he's quite a fan of the Little White Box. He's the founder of excellent Dreamcast fan community, the Dreamcast Junkyard, uh, one of the people that I interviewed for my upcoming book, and an all-round lovely guy. It's Tom Charnock, everyone. How are you doing? Hello. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It's a great honour and a privilege. The honour is ours. It's uh, it's really nice to have you here. Um, how's everything going? It's great, thank you. Yeah, I, I must say that I'm possibly the most clean shaven here. I'm not on camera, but um, <laughs> some impressive beards being sported there today. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I would point out I don't have a beard. I cannot grow one, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I might just have to shave off. Yeah, I might have to shave off riches and just glue it on, perhaps. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Well, uh, thank you, Tom, for joining us. We're gonna have a chat um about all things gaming dreamcast related um but uh before we let the dogs out uh let me fill you in um about the years that bookended 2000 uh, i've got to tell you it won't take seven days don't worry uh but in the end it doesn't even matter um aren't you lucky you've got me as a as a host oh my god <laughs> thank you, thank you. oh lincoln park uh, fan 
I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. I will stop now. Um, Let's try again. Um, 1999. (laughs) That's another one at the end for you there. Uh, 1999, as evidenced by our last bumper-sized OG episode, was filled with gaming goodness. Uh, Among the classics released that year in the UK and the EU were Sonic Adventure, Soul Calibur, Power Stone, Final Fantasy VIII, Metal Gear Solid, Dino Crisis. So many. Um, Any quick thoughts about the year 1999 from anybody? Um, just that it was a very important year, really. I mean, it's the reason we're kind of here together. I mean, if it wasn't for a certain console mm-hmm. that came out. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's a, a year summed up more by a piece of hardware than it is any particular game. Don't get me wrong, a stacked year for games, but it'll always be mm. the day the Dreamcast came out for me. That's the most special day of the year. Yeah, I'd kind of echo that, that sentiment, to be honest. Um, just a really important year, and obviously listening back to your episode that you did last the last OG years was just like a trip down memory lane for me it was a pure nostalgia hit uh, especially some of the, um, the mm. music the music as well as the games that were mentioned the the, the top yes. 10 <laughs> top 10 songs it was like wow this is songs i've never even thought about since then um yeah <laughs> for was, good reason uh, <laughs> um but yeah a, a massive year obviously for for gaming for us and for other consoles yes. as well yeah very true um, yeah, we did cover it in quite great detail. It was like an over two-hour podcast followed up by yeah. Game of the Year where we spoke a bit more about some 1999 stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try and keep it under an hour and a half or around about an hour and a half. We'll see what we can do. Um, so the after, after 2000, following the logic of time, um, came 2001. Um, this wasn't a slouch either. Uh, this is the year that brought us Grand Theft Auto 3. Uh, Devil May Cry, Max Payne, Conker's Bad Fur Day, Silent Hill 2. The uh, list could go on forever. Um, have we got any thoughts about those particular games? Yeah, gosh, that's a phenomenal year. Mm. I mean, Grand Theft Auto 3 alone, massive. But yeah, mm. so many so, so many great ones. Silent Hill 2 also really stands out for me on that one. Yeah, likewise. Just just the one that just the one that you mentioned there was a uh, Max Payne was a, a big game for me mm-hmm. as well. One of the one of the first games that I got for the PC. I, I only got into PC gaming in about two thousand and three, and that okay. was one of the, one of the first games that I got when I could actually have a you know own a PC that could run mm. decent games. So. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, Grand Theft Auto obviously three was monumental, um, but mm. Max Payne definitely for me because I mean that was the game. I waited almost a full year for that because I picked that up when I. Uh, picked up my pre-order of the original xbox and was just blown away playing that game it was yeah. just revolution it was just yeah fantastic that yeah and, i mean the, we don't was it that sorry, rally sport challenge that's what i oh, got on great that game. rally sport yes. challenge yeah. oh, we're using custom soundtracks for the first time that was just oh such a big deal <laughs> such a big deal nice yeah silent hill 2 for me was a big one i think i think it was this year it might have been 2002 that i finally got a ps2 Steve, you might be able to, I can't remember. I remember getting Drakan for it. Do you remember that? Uh, oh, gosh, yeah, Drakan. When was Drakan? That was, that, I, I don't know if it was 2001 or 2002, but, I mean, Silent Hill 2 no, came out a... in 2001. Um, and, I mean, yeah. that's, that's a huge game, I mean, for the horror genre, but just gaming in general, you know, storytelling on that kind of level. and Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. Silent Hill 2 is, is weirdly timeless. Like, it, mm. it just doesn't seem to age, that game. I, I can go back to it and it's still, it feels just as good as it did, did at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, well, we'll keep it fairly short because we're going to talk about that next time. Um, so, get ready for more puns. Um, all right, let's say bye, bye, bye to those years. Um, okay, oh I know. Don't tell me. 
Um, it's on to the year 2000. <laughs> Let's take a look at what life was like 20 goddamn years ago. Um, it started off well enough, as we didn't all die, as predicted. Um, always a nice way to start the year. The Y2K bug came to nothing. Hooray. It's uh, yeah. good. Um, yay. Uh, the Tate Modern opened to the public in London. I, for some reason, thought that was much older than it was, but no. Hmm. It's 20 years old. Ah, yeah, same. Surprising. Mm. Um, yeah. In September of 2000, protesters angry at the rising price of fuel managed to blockade oil, ref oil refineries, causing an estimated 90% of petrol stations across the country to run out of fuel, which in turn uh, was widespread panic amongst the public. I think I remember my parents having something, I don't know, I think they went out and got more petrol. Anybody else remember that? I, I do remember mm, it. Yeah, I, I do it was have. before my time driving, though. I, I was. Mm. I, I vaguely remember seeing it on the news, but I didn't drive at the time, so, yeah. Yeah, I seem to remember those. the roads being very quiet. That was the main thing I remember. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, mm. Leo Blair, son of Tony Blair, had the dubious honour this year of being the first legitimate child born to a serving prime minister since 1849, um, which says wow. a lot about politicians, I think, really. Um, <laughs> so there you go. Um, Music-wise, um, the Brit Awards told us a lot about the state of music in this year. Uh, the best word to describe it would be bland. Um, the best album from the Brit Awards this year went to Travis for The Man Who, uh, while S Club 7 were awarded British Breakthrough Act. Yes, really. Mm. Um, mm. Um, does anybody want to take a guess at what the biggest selling song of the year 2000 was? Oh, God. Um, it wasn't the wasn't Three Lions, was it? Euro 2000? No. no. It was not new. Was Hearsay that year? <clears throat> uh, possibly the year after, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it was. I just remember it being played in sixth form and it was around 2000, 2001. <laughs> um, oh. Any guesses? Any more guesses? Hmm. No. No. Uh, you're going to kick nah. yourselves. You're going to kick yourselves. Um, the biggest song of 2000 in the UK was Can We Fix It by Bob the Builder. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> mm hmm. Um, and the record of the year was awarded to My Love by Westlife. So just all round terrible music, apparently, in the year 2000. <laughs> I'm sorry, dark, everybody. Dark times. Dark times. for gaming, seemingly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, debuting on British TV this year were the likes of Daytime Soap Doctors, uh, sitcom Coupling, and BBC's Breakfast Show, which, again, is another thing I thought had gone on forever, but apparently is 20 yeah. years old. Mm. Um in America, we saw the likes of Malcolm in the Middle, Jackass, CSI, and Dora the Explorer air for the first time. Um, Mission Impossible 2 was the highest grossing movie worldwide this year. Uh, but we also Incredible got, film. Yeah, pretty good film. Uh, but we also got Best films song. such as Gladiator, Castaway, and X-Men. Mm. Um, Gosh. Yeah. Some... Castaway's that old? Yeah, it is. I haven't Blimey. seen that film for ages. Good film. Yeah, yeah. I cried at a volleyball. Wilson. That's the weirdest part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you know what? If, if it wasn't even Castaway, if you'd just cried at a volleyball, I kind of believe it, Rich, to be honest. <laughs> Throw a face on it and that's it. I've made a friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, right. Uh, now we know a little bit about the year 2000. Let's dive in and take a look at some of the biggest and best games that it had to offer. Um, so, as ever, as I mentioned at the beginning, we'll um, kind of rate them as we talk about them at the end, uh, so we'll kind of decide whether they were a game changer, uh, if they were just a game, um, or if they were shit. Um, so we'll go through. Uh, we'll start with um, 
one that I am personally in love with and this is this was released on the 21st of february in the eu uh, on the ps1 and this was resident evil 3 nemesis um does anybody want to start us off with that game i'll jump in i um, never played this game could have guessed rip that plaster off you. I'll, I'll jump in second and say i never played it on the playstation i did play it on the dreamcast which wasn't very oh, good which good. was obviously a, a port of yeah. i think it was a part of the pc version um so it was yeah yeah i can't really speak to the uh playstation game so i'll uh stand back and let somebody else go next huh. i mean you can speak about the game itself um it's the same game pretty much anyway yeah. isn't it? apart from i think there's a few extra costumes on the dreamcast version is that right and obviously better textures and stuff yeah the usual the usual um, improvements such as res graphics and that kind of thing um to be honest i didn't really get very far into it it, it kind of it felt like a step back after code veronica you know, going back into mm. the sort of fixed camera angle kind of gameplay. Um, so I wasn't overly enamoured with it. Um, I think I played it for a couple of hours and then kind of sacked it off. So yeah, that's that's my uh, <laughs> extent of my experience with Resident Evil 3. It's fair enough. It's not for everybody, I suppose. Um, Steve, I mean, I, I obviously played a lot of this. Did you watch me play this? Have you yeah. played this yourself? Uh, I, I, I have played it myself since, but uh, the bulk of my time with it at the time would have been watching you playing it, um, which meant that I liked it a bit more at the time than I did afterwards because when I got my hands mm. on the controller, I realised just how clunky it was especially uh that this is the game where they introduced the dodge move isn't it like, this yeah, is the one right. this is the right one i'm thinking of yeah and that dodge move was awful because you could never whenever you wanted to dodge you couldn't do it and whenever you wanted to shoot your gun you would dodge by mistake because mm. it was mapped to the same button <laughs> uh so that was really frustrating and it, it, it's a shame because um the, the 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 setting of the game was awesome and i still think mm-hmm. it's one of the best because you go through Resident Evil 2 wishing you could see more of Raccoon City and then Resident Evil 3 comes along and it grants that wish. Um, mm-hmm. And all of that stuff is is uh, is great. You spend a lot of time in the streets and all that stuff is really cool. It's just a shame um, that it's not uh, it's not a better game. It, it, the gameplay just feels kind of a little bit a little bit stale, mm. I think. That's fair. That's fair, I suppose. Um, so yeah, Resident Evil 3 for me, I mean, it's no secret, it's probably my favourite Resident Evil game. Um, I can kind of look past... I mean, I do agree, Steve, there, there are some issues with the controls and, and everything like that, but there was something about the characters, the story, the location, all of it just spoke to me. I don't know, it spoke to me much more um, than some of the other games, and I just really, really enjoyed... I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean... Mm. This for me, this was a game that I enjoyed so much that my mum, for my for passing my GCSEs, bought me a Jill Valentine action figure. Um, I don't know if you remember that one, Steve. But I had my Jill Valentine. I think I do figure. actually. Yeah, sixteen-year-old yeah. um, uh, me, uh, so geeky. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I, it's I just seem to remember you were particular. You were particularly enamoured with her wearing the sweater around her waist. You were like, she's that so cool, cool and non and <laughs> nonchalant. So nineties, fighting zombies. Yeah. yeah, that's one thing. I mean. I never had, I never played uh, this game much. Never really had much affinity for Resident Evil. But I remember watching, um, was it the second film, Apocalypse? And mm-hmm. I remember geeking out because they nailed her perfectly. She had the sweater. Yeah. She looked spot on. Mm-hmm. That's the weird thing. I, I will appreciate it, even though I'm not necessarily like, obsessed with the source material. But mm-hmm. yeah, she had a really cool look, and I hope they keep that quite faithful in the uh, new remake. Yeah, absolutely. It was the. It, it 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 was also um it introduced things like the uh it was the nemesis 
wasn't yes. it? Um, in that game, um, which was the lumbering enemy that follows you wherever you go, that you can mm. never truly kill, um, which is something that came back um, in other games most recently, obviously the Resident Evil 2 remake. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was some other stuff in there as well, like uh, you could create ammo, you could mix ammo types. Yep. I think that was the first game that did that. That's right. And the was it Mercenaries mode in that one as well? I think that was the first time... I think there was a kind of mercenaries mode in other ones. I, I don't know. It was. I think this was the first one where you could have characters from different games. I think the previous ones you'd have like uh, Hunk and a couple of others, and that was uh, it. Okay. I think I might be wrong, but yeah, yeah, exact. You know, it was the first for a lot of things. I mean, it had the the, the one eighty turn as well, which you didn't have before. That's you right. Could quickly yeah. turn yeah. and get away, which was really good. And um, yeah, the mixing of ammo and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what it did really well as well was that it, it, you know, not only was it kind of a sequel to Resident Evil 2, but it was also a prequel. It was a prequel and a sequel in one game because you played just before Resident Evil 2 took place and then something happened and then you played after Resident Evil 2 took place as well. So, oh, right, cool. Yeah, so it was really cool in that respect. Um, but what was uh, one thing I found really interesting is I read an article on Polygon recently, which is like an extract from a book called An Itchy Tasty History of Resident Evil by Alex mm. Annual. Um, Strong and title. Very good title. It's not out yet, but it's it's coming out. And um, what the article is basically, because obviously Resident Evil 3 is now being remade. It comes out in March, I believe, the remake for Resident Evil 3. That's crazy which, I mean, turnaround. Cr- yeah, incredibly so excited about it. Apparently they were developing it alongside Resident Evil 2 all along um so it's actually been in development for quite a while which is which is quite interesting um but the article uh, the extract from the book was um it was really interesting because apparently resident evil 3 was never meant to be a numbered sequel to the resident evil series it was originally supposed to be just be a side story it didn't even have jill valentine in it for majority of its it, it kind of its um gestation as it were um and it wasn't it wasn't until they started mm. making changes to code veronica that they uh, basically it sounds like jill was meant to be in code veronica at some point and once they made some changes to that game they said oh we've got jill now we've freed up jill you can have her so they put jill into resident right. evil 3 right. and wow. then the actual resident evil 3 which was being developed by a different um part in capcom was so unlike resident evil that became devil may cry and because then resident evil 3 no longer existed they gave uh, resident evil nemesis as it was called then the three in its title so wow fascinating interesting fascinating Mm. it is really interesting that and and i think it does kind of have it's funny you should say that because it does kind of have this kind of side game feel to it like Mm. i don't mean that disparagingly but it's sort of it was a very late stage playstation game right it came out pretty late in the cycle it did um and it does just kind of have this feel to it that it's more of a side story i remember feeling kind of surprised that it was a numbered sequel at the time Mm. so i guess that explains that there you go um and everybody go out and uh buy or back uh, an itchy tasty history of resident <laughs> evil because this looks like it's going to be a good read what's uh, what's the meaning about that title i'm a bit i'm intrigued is there a saying i'm missing with that oh, itchy, itchy tasty, tasty. Yeah. yeah yeah i'm not resident evil fan so there's a <laughs> there's a section in the first game i believe this is where it's from where you find a, a diary in a particular yeah. room that's right of the mansion yeah. and it's as the the person who's writing the diary gets more and more zombified if that's the right term and his, um, his writing's kind of degenerate into this kind of almost zombie-like kind of scroll where he just wants the taste of human flesh or something like that. Am I wrong? Interesting. Right? No, that's no, right. no, no, you're right. Yeah. He's, he's, saying, he's, he's saying things like, my face is itchy, I saw Carl today, his face looked tasty, and by the last page <laughs> he's just written itchy tasty. That's yeah. it. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you finish reading that diary, and then he bursts out of a closet behind mm. you. It's a classic moment. Yeah, it's Ugh. brilliant. So uh, another reason you should really be playing Resident Evil games, Rich. Um, I should. We'll get you into them at some point. Um, but yeah, so Resident Evil 3. Um, I mean... I'm I'm not going to lie I don't think it's a game changer because it's it's re- it's it, it basically did what Resident Evil 2 did and then kind of added some stuff to it uh, and it, you know it extended the story of that game it extended some of the gameplay features of that game but it was essentially Resident Evil 2 um but a bit extra so I would say it's a game as much as I love that game I know it's not a game changer so I would say game for that um Rich what would you say for this one <laughs> Uh, well, I'd have to go with the game, really. Um, mm. Yeah, it's from all accounts, it's not like a bad entry at all in the franchise. Mm. People don't seem to speak Ill, Ill of it. Um, but yeah, not not played it. I'm really not much of a Resident Evil fan, so mm. yeah, you know, I'd, I'd have to say a game. I think, yeah, fair. Yeah. Um, Steve, we'll come to you next. What what would you label this one as? Um, I mean, it's like we said, it did it did some stuff. It gave you the 180 turn, ammo mixing, that kind of, I'm sure there are other things, oh, like the mercenaries mode, the mm. more fleshed out mode. Um, but the gameplay was otherwise formulaic by that point, and it did suffer for that. So I guess I guess it's just a game. Fair, that's fair. Uh, Tom, what about you? Yeah, what do you think? I'd have to agree as well. It's, it's, it's game. Uh, again, I've not got a massive amount of experience with this game, but I know that it you know made... Quite a big impact on the uh, the fans of that particular genre and and series of games, but uh, yeah, minimal minimal input really for me, unfortunately. Yeah, that's fair, and we never know. Maybe the remake will be a game changer. Maybe mm. it'll do something mm. amazing. We'll see. Um, okay, let's move on. Um, next game on my list was released um, only a couple of months later on the twenty fifth of May, uh, two thousand, and this was Resident Evil Code Veronica for the Dreamcast. <laughs> let's talk about this another is... Resident Evil game. This is crazy <sighs> to me. Until until you spelled it out in the show notes before, I, 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 I had no idea these were so close together. Yeah. No, me neither. I mean, yeah. They were further apart, obviously, in Japan. Um, but oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. In, in, in Britain, by the time it came here, yeah, one came out at the beginning of the year and one came out a few months later. It was, it was madness. I mean, I, I don't think I played Code Veronica until August, September, because I got my Dreamcast that year for my birthday, obviously. So I played Code Veronica later on in the year, uh, by which point I'd completed Resident Evil 3 probably at least twice. Um, so I'm not going to come to Rich first, because uh, I kind of think I know the answer. We'll come to Let's go to Tom. Tom, what are your <laughs> thoughts on Resident Evil Code Veronica? Yeah, okay. Um, I had a little bit of... I didn't really have a, a massive amount of affinity with the series, as alluded to previously. Um, the only other Resident Evil game that I'd owned prior to this was the first one for the Sega Saturn. Um, okay. I came late to the series because it came later to the Saturn. Um, <coughs> yeah, and I, I remember distinctly getting this game on the same day. I think I got Sword of the Berserk on the same day. Okay. <laughs> For some reason, I got two games. I can't remember why. Uh, but <laughs> quite interesting that they were both kind of quite gory games as well. Don't know what that says about mm. me at the time. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'd seen, I'd seen the shots in the magazines. Uh, I was quite, you know, impressed with the visuals as with most Dreamcast games um, and yeah it was just um, what, what an amazing adventure really you know from the from the first moment where you kind of start the game in that little prison cell and, mm. and it, you know it's, it's it's very much a, a puzzle a puzzle game as well as a, an action game um, yeah and, and, and the twist I mean obviously I won't go into any spoilers for people who haven't 
kind of played it. Obviously, it's a twenty-year-old game now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, 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 the character, the characters, and you know, um, certainly, especially the, um, the the villain, the main villain, and the way that's played is very, mm. very kind of psycho-esque and and just yeah. just brilliant. Oh, yeah. I've never seen anything like it at the time. You know, in a game, the way it was all conveyed, kind of in engine. And and mm. just, just a fantastic game, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve, kind of remembering there a bit of the plot. Yeah, yeah. There. I, I'd forgotten about that actually. Yeah, mm. um, and I guess that's a good point uh, that Tom made as well. I, I, it was sort of the twist was better because of the more powerful console that it was on. So you know, you were you were fooled um, by that twist uh, in mm. a way that you possibly wouldn't have been on the PlayStation. True. Um, but 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 yeah, uh, Code Veronica's great. I I find it really hard to go back to, so I need to be careful. I've got to remember how I perceived it at the time. I think it's I think it's I think it's a bit difficult to play now. But at the time, like if if you'd if you'd asked me what I wanted from a modern Resident Evil, um, mm-hmm. Code Veronica would have absolutely been it. Like I think it nailed that feeling of like wow, it's Resident Evil but new and good and next gen with the fixed camera angles but still 3D environment so you could like have cinematic changes in the camera angle and like sweeping camera angles that followed you around and mm-hmm. uh, and the graphics obviously were stunning. Uh, the lighting in particular, I remember um, being really impressive. Like entering into a room with a, a, a swinging lampshade, um, mm-hmm. illuminating tables covered in plates and stuff. It was mind blowing. Um, mm. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was. Yeah, really, really good. It was. It was one of the first games as well, if I remember rightly, apart from things like Sonic Adventure and that, that made me realise that the Dreamcast was going to be a really powerful console because they kind of started to release screenshots and video for that. I think a month or two before it came out in Japan, the Dreamcast. Um, Capcom started to kind of hype up Code Veronica. I think it was something like May 1998 that they started to yeah. kind of start the hype machine for that game. But I remember, you know, back then it was all magazines or um, watching videos on GameSpot extremely slowly, like waiting for them to fucking load because it took so long. <laughs> yeah. Dial up internet. But I remember what, seeing those things and watching those little clips of videos and seeing those screenshots in magazines was really special because it looked like nothing else I'd seen so far on a console. It, it looked like no other Resident Evil game. It, it, like you say, Steve, the, the graphics, the lighting, it was absolutely incredible. And that kind of showed the world basically what the Dreamcast was capable of. Um, and so it has that it has that kind of honor of being one of those, you know, apart from maybe Sonic Adventure of being one of those games that really showed off exactly what the mm-hmm. Dreamcast could do. Mm-hmm. So, Isn't- yeah. Isn't there a part quite early on in the game where you, um, I think, you're down in the cellar or something, and you you flick on a um, on a Zippo lighter, and it illuminates mm. a person, yeah, like a character in in front of you, and you have a conversation illuminated by a lighter, and yeah, it looked really cool. It was really really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was, I mean, it, like you say, it was it was kind of it's what you expected resident evil to do next um if you know keeping the same kind of format as they had previously but you know upping everything else i I think i think in retrospect when i look back i think they would they they clung on to some things that they could have done with letting go of i think the inventory Mm. management and stuff is 
kind of shocking how much time you <laughs> switch between gameplay and inventory mm-hmm. um but yeah at the time it was it was what felt like a, a really amazing progression from one generation to the next there, there was one really kind of random thing that stuck in it's always stuck with me about this game and it's so it's so minor but oh, when i explain to you what it is it, it'll, exp- it'll understand why um there's a section where you actually enter a kind of like a steam room or, or a sauna and you have to um, go down into a swimming pool and, and, and empty the swimming pool to, to find a, a key or something that's actually in the water. And it's the way the water reacted to the character as you yeah. walk through it. Yeah. And I was just like, I remember that. how much detail have they put into this game that the water kind of ripples around your character as you're walking through it? And it just It's so small and so inconsequential, but it looked so amazing at the time. And it just felt, wow, you know, brilliant. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it did. It like it's probably it probably wasn't like simulated dynamic water no, in the no, way that they would no. do it now. Um but so, you know, it, it looked sort of like handcrafted, like ripples would come out from around you mm. as you waded through the water. It did look really cool. It's not something you saw very often in games then. I'm glad somebody else remembers what I'm talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. Yeah. Um Rich, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of going to come to you, but I know the answer. I mean, you must have seen some of this talk game anyway, I guess. Talk, talk to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's that character from Phone Jacker? That's just what I'm getting from you at the moment. Talk to me. Terry, oh, Terry Tibbs. Or, Terry Tibbs, yeah. Talk to me. Um, <laughs> um, what, what, what can you tell us about Resident Evil Code Veronica from your perspective, Rich? I, yeah, I played the demo. I was impressed. Yeah. Again, never came in as a Resident Evil fan. Have it? I had played the first two on the... Uh, well, yeah, it was one and two on the PlayStation, but mm. yeah, what stood out to me was what's kind of already been covered, like how it, on a technical level, um, was a step forward for the franchise. I, I remember how it played with the whole um, mix of pre-rendered backgrounds and some 3D elements, um, the lighting definitely. Um, but one thing that stood out to me, um, again, not as a Resident Evil fan, but more as like a fan of the zombie movie genre, I know George mm. Romero Die Hard was the bit in it that I believe is the only time it's happened in the franchise and that was when you actually get attacked by the buried dead yes oh yeah, yeah. and yeah I was I freaked out at that I remember playing that demo <laughs> and I was freaked out but I was very excited at the same time because it really it sung to me as a George Romero fan and uh, I mm. adored that moment but yeah. yeah other than that there was no real standouts for me I I wish I played Resident Evil like I said I'm a <laughs> massive fan of the zombie fr- of the zombie genre but yeah. You still as, can, Rich. You still I mean, can. I still can. I know, but <laughs> it's something about the gameplay. Maybe more with the remakes, it will appeal to me more. But I yeah. never got on with the controls, and it just kind of kept me away. So, mm. but we'll see. Maybe I need to pick up one of the remakes on the uh, Switch. I think. Yeah, you should. Yeah. You should. Number one, I guess. I imagine it'd be the best. Number one, one makes sense. Yeah, yeah five sucks. Great remake. Oh. Um, do you say five sucks? Five's six. not the worst. Six. Five's six. Okay. A poor man's four, but six is not shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, I mean, there's a lot to say about this game. It's it, it's it's a big game for this year. I mean, it really was a big game. Um, Tom, I'll come to you first. What do, do you think? This is a game changer. A game. I am going to say game changer, and the mm-hmm. reason for that is you only have to look at the amount of um, sort of re-releases it's had on different consoles. It's been re-released mm-hmm. several times as Code Veronica X. I think on the PlayStation 2, mm. the GameCube, it's even on the PS4 now. Um, mm-hmm. mm. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, it's a really highly regarded game. Um, so I'm going to say Game Changer, yeah. And also, not the first game of this type to feature fully 3D backgrounds. I believe the first one to do that was Dino Crisis on the PlayStation. 
Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, game changer for me. Excellent. Um, Steve, what about you? Um, well, it was kind of the end of an era in a way, wasn't it? Because it's the mm. last, it's the last Resident Evil game in this sort of, in this style. Um, mm. But I, I think, like Tom said, the amount of re-releases up to this point, you know, I, I think I think you have to call it a game changer, really, just from the in, the impact that it had. Fair. So yeah, it's a game changer. Yeah, uh, Rich, what about yourself? Um. Maybe I should say Game Changer, because at the time it was an exclusive for the Dreamcast, and that in itself was a massive deal. Mm, but as you said, it went on to be on other so many other platforms, almost heartbreakingly so, actually. I remember when it came to the uh, PlayStation 2, and again, I wasn't a massive fan of the game, but I appreciated the significance of it being an exclusive. I did feel a bit betrayed as a bit of a yeah. console fanboy. <laughs> it hurt, but nah, I say Game Changer. It, it's a massive series. Um... Yeah, I have to. I, okay, I don't play it, but I can't ignore its significance. It was the last of that, in, that iteration of the Resident Evil franchise before it changed for, arguably, say the better. But yeah, yeah, the better for one game, perhaps. Although maybe <laughs> di- di- different people uh, have different thoughts on four, I suppose. But um, Resident yeah. Evil Five is the best of the uh, of those three. You reckon uh, four, five, and six? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Don't Five me. made me way more anxious <laughs> than four. <laughs> it, it, yeah. I have words later, Steve. Honestly, five five as a co as a co op experience is really good. Um, uh, anyway, we're getting off point now, but uh, yeah. Tom, were you going to say Andrew, something there? Yeah, I was just going to say before you before you give your verdict, Andrew. I was just going to say um, it's worth giving a mention to the sheer number of different special editions there are of this game in Japan. True. There are so yeah. many different kind of packaged versions of this game. Some with extra content like bonus discs, etc. It's um, mm. quite be- bewildering. A good friend of mine, Mike Phelan, who runs the Dreamcast Junkyard with me, mm-hmm. um, he's a, a collector of basically everything through the Dreamcast, yes. and he's got he he must have every version of this game. Um, and there are I couldn't tell you exactly how many I have off my head, but there are more than two. So yeah, yeah, those are good for you. Huh. Yeah, I remember. I've been on a couple of episodes of um, DreamPod with Mike, and he, yeah, his collection is legendary. Um, and he has mentioned Code Veronica before. I know that there was a version in Japan that was essentially Code Veronica X, which is the version that then got ported elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the additions that they had. They had the original, then they had X on in in Japan only. Um, but yeah, there was there was a bunch. I, I always wanted the one that had the red slip cover that had was oh, it the Made yeah. in Heaven yeah. logo on it. Mm. I really wanted that one. That looked good. I, I think it can be had fairly cheap now. Actually, I don't think it's an expensive edition to get. So no, no. Is it worth noticing? Maybe. Is it worth mentioning the special edition Dreamcast as well with stars written on them? Ooh. Yes. <laughs> oh, if I could get a special edition Dreamcast, if I could afford a special edition Dreamcast, that would be the one to get for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that um, Game Changer is where it needs to be because it, it took the Resident Evil series into proper 3D for the first time. Um, and it was a Dreamcast exclusive, as Rich said, which was a huge deal. Um, you know, considering what had happened with the Saturn. The fact that a company like Capcom would would even support Sega to the level they give them a completely new uh, Resident Evil game was a was a big deal, and the fact that then it was actually an incredibly good Resident Evil game on top of that was even more of a big mm. deal. So, um, yeah, it's a game changer. And um, as much as I love Resident Evil Three, I think Code Veronica is is the better game in 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 many ways. Um, 
So yeah, there we go. We've got our first game changer of the episode. Uh, let's see if uh, we can get some more. Um, so moving on, uh, this next game, if I just find it on my list, uh, my lovely list here. Oh, I always do this. I always get lost. Here we go. So uh, releasing on the 31st of March on the PS1 um, is another Resident Evil game, Resident Evil Survivor. Uh, just kidding. I didn't put this on your list. I'm not going to <laughs> make you go through this. It's fine. Um, but I did want. I did want to highlight that there were three Resident Evil games this year. Gosh, which is madness. Um, so we won't go into it. But this was the basically this was the light gun game, the ah, most yeah. Resident Evil light gun game. Okay. Resident Evil and Survivor. it was trash. If I and remember rightly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was yeah. there was interesting bits to it. The story seemed quite interesting, but as a game, not so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't worry, I won't make us go through that. That would be a third Resident Evil in a row. That's cruel. Um, so moving on, um, releasing on the 21st of June on the PS1 um, was a game by uh, Squaresoft. And that game was Vagrant Story. Um, I feel like I feel like I'm kind of looking over at who I can see on the screen. I feel like I want to come to Steve first about this one. Steve, Vagrant Story, shaking his head. Tell me all about it. Yeah. So I'll tell you what I remember of Vagrant Story. Mm. I remember seeing screenshots Mm -hmm. and thinking it looked very impressive. I remember Mm. hearing everything about it, uh, about how it was like, you know, cutting edge graphics. I remember facial expressions being being a thing. Um, But I never played this one, sadly. I always always wanted to, but for one reason or another, I just never got around to it. There you go. It's uh, just to point out, uh, I feel like I'm going to have this conversation three times in a row, but just to point out, if <laughs> yeah. you do want to play Vagrant Story, you can still play it. It's um, it's available on the PS3 and the Vita um, as a download. Um, so I feel it worth pointing out if you kind of listen to this and feel an urge to play it, that's the way to do it. Unless you obviously just buy the original PS1 game, of course. Um, Tom, shall I come to you next? Any, any Again, I have or to... thoughts about Vagrant Story? Um, again, I, I've not played this one. Uh, the only memories I do have of it w- are the, the fact that I thought the name sounded really cool, and for some reason, mm. it gave me images of Oliver Twist because he's a vagrant. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> sure, okay, tenuous link. Go, ahead, go on. <laughs> I don't know. It, it just seemed like we got an Oliver game. Good. <laughs> um, I just like the name. I like the name of the game, but I never played it, so I can't really give any any more than that. I'm afraid. Sorry. Fair, fair. That's fine. Um, Rich, have you played this game? No, I have not. I, <laughs> literally, I had to Google it. I know the title, but other than that, mm. I didn't even know it was an RPG. Um, wow. Now I do know. I definitely won't play it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I might still play this game, and if I do and there's no pickpocketing in it, I'll be very disappointed. It's <laughs> uh. musical numbers as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Consider yourself has to be somewhere in there. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'm the only person who's played it. And to be honest, I haven't played it to completion. I haven't finished it. I haven't really played that much of it. But I'm interested enough in it that I've I've watched videos about it. I've you know I've researched it, looked into it. Um, I even set up my PlayStation TV yesterday in order to start it up uh, so I could play it on the big screen. Um, it's I don't know. It's there's something about it that it's it's a really interesting and intriguing game it was made by the person who created final fantasy tactics 
So it was kind of like in that, it wasn't a tactics game as such, but it was in that vein. It was, it's set in the same universe as Final Fantasy XII, um, which is interesting to note. And it's the same character designer and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it did something, it, it was basically, Squaresoft wanted to do something other than their regular RPG. Um, and they delivered Vagrant Story. And it's it's an RPG, but it's like a, it doesn't have the huge open worlds that a lot of uh, of Square's RPGs have. You know, you're not going over big world maps or anything. It's all condensed into a, a single kind of location that you go through different rooms in, um, and you battle. You have to upgrade your weapons. You you know you uh, it, it's real time battling, but in in as much as you can run around in the in the area that you're in. Mm. But then when you actually attack somebody, it pauses the game. You choose which limb or whichever place you want to hit them and then what you're hitting them with so it's kind of like a a, a weird hybrid of real time and and kind of um real time and what's the types of battle again from rpgs real like time turn-based turn-based yeah. yeah yeah that's right and and like you said steve the the graphics in it for a ps1 game it did some amazing things um with that with that hardware i mean you look at that game now and it and it stands out as as a very good looking game you know as far as ps1 games go um it's very dark and gritty i don't mm. know I, there's, there's something about it that appeals the way, quite a lot the way it looks to me you know how um in final fantasy games previously you could do these summon attacks and the mm. graphics for those summoned um allies were always super impressive and like mm. way better than the rest of the game it's sure. like they made a whole game with those graphics. That's kind yeah. of what it looks like. It was like they squeezed some really impressive stuff out of really limited hardware on the PlayStation. They just somehow weaved, weaved some magic uh, and made this mm. thing that looked that looked really impressive. Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. It's, uh, I mean, the, uh, how they did it is obviously that they they kind of made the locations very small and and kind of contained, so it was much easier, I suppose, in that regard to actually um, to make it look good. But yeah, I mean, the story of it as well. I mean, again, I've not completed it, but I've heard people say that the story in that game is is kind of second to none. It's it's a really interesting story to play through. So at some point, I will get I will go through it. And uh, by the sounds of it, Steve, you might want to play it at some point. So I might not be alone yeah, maybe. at least. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, well, short and sweet on that one. Um, Rich, I'll come to you first. Game changer? I'll be fair when I say a game. I said it obviously means a lot to some people. It's a yeah. game I've not ever played and will never play. Um, but I can't I can't crap on it for that. So I'll say it's a game. Very fair. Very fair of you, Rich. Very fair. Um, Tom, how about yourself? Yeah, same again, I'm afraid. Um, no experience with it at all. Uh, as I said, I do remember seeing the screenshots on the back of the box and obviously the uh, the, the stuff in the magazines at the time. Um, one thing I did particularly like about the game was the kind of the box art and the way the artwork kind of all kind of came mm. together. It looks kind of very... Is it hand-drawn? There's a lot of hand-drawn yeah. kind of um, character art on there. Um, so, yeah, um, game again for me, I'm afraid. That's fair, yeah. Um, and to point out as well, you say like you know the hand drawing on the on the box. What well, one thing it did do very well as well, I think, is that the character design translated very well over to three D, mm-hmm. uh, which you can't say very much for some of the RPGs at the time. But I think it looked mm. very good. Um, Steve, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, game, game, game. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I'd like to say game changer because it did do a lot of things very differently to a lot of RPGs, but. I don't have enough experience with it to yeah. go into much depth in that regard. Another, but. 
another another podcast will do better by uh, Vagrant Story, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, and if you're listening to this and you love Vagrant Story, feel free to tell us why, and uh, <laughs> and, and and maybe we'll uh, we'll pay more attention. Um, maybe we'll get Rich to play it. Um, probably nah, not likely. Sorry. No. <laughs> 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 okay, let's move on. Um, now. I'm hoping this is one that Rich has played because it's a console that he had um, and very few of us, I think, maybe Tom had this as well, actually, but let's have a look. Um, This one came out on the 17th of November on the N64, which is a console we haven't spoken about for a little while. Um, This was The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. So, um, I I see Rich's face already, so I'm giggling. Rich, Rich, what are your thoughts about this game? I jumped off at Ocarina of Time, I'm afraid. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was already a Dreamcast owner at this point. I'm sorry, what do you expect me to do? I, I gave up my N64 to get a much better, more wonderful, more powerful console. Um, I just remember this being like the survival horror version of like Ocarina of Time, basically. <laughs> a clock and lots of anxiety and more nightmarish elements. But other than that, I, I did not play this. And it's a shame because I was very excited around the time Ocarina came out. That was the big game for me on N64. But yeah, I was not part of the N64 scene when this came out, I'm afraid. So I'm really sorry. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I, I won't hold it against you because you got a Dreamcast and that's all I that did. matters. I, yeah. I didn't have an income at this point. I had to trade in to uh, you know get the next console. <laughs> I'd have that exactly. conversation with my parents and be like, look, this new console's come out. Can I trade this in? Yeah. And they relented. And yeah. So... <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to come to Tom next because I know already that Tom's experience is, I think, similar to yours in terms of getting the Dreamcast. Tom, did you... Well, one, is your experience similar to, to Rich's? And two, did you play uh, Majora's Mask at all? Yeah, my, it's actually quite uncanny how similar our experiences are, uh, Rich. <laughs> um, I also got the Dreamcast um, and got rid of my N64 to get a Dreamcast. However... Later on in the life in the life cycle of the Dreamcast, I did get another N64, and I did actually play this game. I was a huge fan of Ocarina of Time at the time; it was my favourite game of all time. I absolutely love that game. I still love it now. Um, I did play Majora's Mask, however, I kind of bounced off it pretty hard because it just—I just didn't think it was as good as Ocarina. Um, again, as Rich alluded to, the the mechanic of having to go back in time constantly mm. was really annoying. Um, mm-hmm. And I just found it because I because I got so enamoured with uh, the characters and the world of Hyrule in Ocarina to be presented with this whole new world to try and learn the characters and uh, this this new mechanic just it just didn't feel right to me it kind of it felt like an almost like an imposter version of Ocarina of Time and like I say I just kind of bounced hard off it I I, I think I, I I maybe got out of Clock Town um, spent a little bit of time wandering around the the Sort of the, the there's like a desert I think outside of the outside of the town, and just kind of put it mm. down one day and just never went back to it, um, and that is my experience with um, Majora's Mask. I I think actually years later when it came out again on the 3DS, I might have dipped mm. back into it again, and it it had the same effect. I was just like, no, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't deal with this. So yeah, unfortunately again, only limited experience. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, Steve, I'm going to come to you next. Uh, I have played um, Majora's Mask. Um, oh. It's been a while though, so we're going to have to rely on my on my ragged memory of it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
I played it later. I played played it on the 3DS. Um, I'm to understand that it's large. It's the same game, though. Um, sure. I, I I I can understand why people bounced off this one. It's a very different experience. Uh, very very different to the point almost where I think you know getting people who loved Ocarina to buy this game <laughs> is almost a scam because it's you're not going to Majora's Mask for the same experiences as you get in Ocarina. Ocarina's like swashbuckling adventure with an elf and a horse, and Majora's Mask is a uh, is a, a, a bleak tale of suffering and cycles repeating and helplessness and um impending doom and anxiety and uh, it's great I, I think it's a brilliant game but i don't disagree with anything that's been said up to this point because it is it's very weird it's very strange and it is anxiety inducing i mm. i i don't like timers in games generally and um majora's mask is all about that and but it kind of i don't like timers in games but then it's kind of like dead rising which is a game that's also all about timers but i love mm. dead rising for that and i kind of love uh majora's mask for the same reason it it, it uses that timer mechanic really well and it, <clears> and it and it does it to present you with some sort of desperate situations and it shows you some heartbreak like there are side quests in that game where you rescue people from diseases and you bring people back together who have lost each other and you hate people get over fears and stuff and then at the end of the day you play the ocarina and you go all the way back again and then you walk back into town and that person's got the disease again and those people have lost each other again and that person's terrified again and it's super bleak it's you feel super helpless and it's super dark and there's this moon with a terrifying face bearing down on you the whole time i don't know there's something about it that works really really well for me um i yeah i really i really like this game i, I can understand why some people aren't into it but i think it's i, I think it's very good the way the way you describe it, it almost sounds like the the butterfly effect the game you know it's kind of bleak, <laughs> this bleak yeah rewind yeah kind of yeah yeah yeah, I mean, you've pretty much sold me on this game, by the way. I've never played it. I do own it for the Wii U somewhere, I think. Um, I got it on the virtual console. I, I basically got all the Zelda games just to have them, but I never thought I'd play it because it, I wasn't a huge fan of Ocarina of Time. But anything dark and bleak, fuck it, I'll play it. I love I love shit <laughs> like that. So, um, yeah, I think I might give that a go. Um, you should. I can't. You should. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, no, you know, you should for sure. If you've never played it, uh, um yeah definitely get back into it and it, you know it plays a lot like ocarina um but it, it's not it, it's a very different game and it offers sure. you a very different experience definitely worth playing didn't it use the so, expansion pack as well i'm pretty sure it did didn't I believe it? it did yeah 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 i think so yeah yeah mm. pretty interesting um it's a shame though that the n64 itself is is so difficult to play nowadays as a as a retro console on modern tvs it just doesn't yeah. look very good and i'm glad that things like the wii virtual console exists so we have some of those games available but yeah as a as a retro console the n64 has not aged well unfortunately mm. um so yeah i i don't have much to add as i say i haven't really played it um it sounds great um but for me i'm gonna have to say it was a game because I, as rich would say i can't really shit on it because i've not played it um, but I also can't say it's a game changer because I haven't played it. So it's a game. Um, Rich, what about you? Yeah, it's going to be a game for me, I'm afraid. 
but yeah mm. i've got nothing much more to add <laughs> fair that's fair uh tom i feel like i know what your answer is going to be what would you say yeah game again um as i say it's a great game it follows on in the in the style and the footsteps of ocarina but it just there's just something missing for me and it, it, i think it was just that kind of having to constantly <clears> rewind <throat> and go through the through the motions over and over again so yeah game mm. sure steve what about you Hmm, it's tough. Um, I want to say I want to say game changer, but I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can justify it. I think people are certainly very emotive about it. They either love it or they hate it, and I think mm-hmm. that alone is in its favour for being a game changer. But I, I think I'm I'm just on the edge of that. I'm just going to have to say game. I think. Fair enough. A very good game, but yes, not quite yeah. game changer. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Um, one thing I do know is that I really want the Majora's Mask uh, Link Amiibo because that looks pretty cool. <laughs> one day. One day I'll get it. Um, <laughs> I love Amiibo. Uh, that's another conversation. Um, so moving on, we've got four more games on my list. Obviously, if you guys have any more, we'll kind of come to those at the end. Um, but my list now consists solely of Dreamcast games. So we should all be in our element here, hopefully. Um, so because this was a huge year for Dreamcast. Um the first one um, that I want to talk about um, is one that came out on the 24th of November. Um, so a bit late on uh, in the year. Uh, and this was Jet Set Radio. Now, of all the games on this list, I think this one might elicit quite strong responses from people. So I, I, I kind of want to come to Tom first. Um, Tom, what do you think about Jet Set Radio? Well, it's it's great. I love it. <laughs> it's a fantastic game. <laughs> yeah, Um what what's not to love? I mean, at the time it came out, I mean, cel shaded graphics were a big thing. Obviously, we'd already had wacky races. I think we'd already had. Um, <coughs> I mean, it looked like a playable cartoon for all intents and purposes. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, the first thing you see are the graphics. So that was like, wow, what is this? Uh, obviously, then you've got the soundtrack as well. It's as iconic as the visuals are. Um, I know that. Um, oh, is it Richard Jakes did some of the music for it? Um, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, he did the soundtrack to Metropolis Street Racer. Um yes. I think he only did a couple of tracks though, because the rest of the soundtrack is more um usually associated with the composer, the Japanese composer. I can't remember the name of for a second. But um yeah, <laughs> it's uh it's well, yeah, a, a lovely game. Um for those people who maybe haven't played it, obviously you play as a, a skater who is attached to a, a crew. And you have to go around the city of Tokyo to uh, tag in the uh, the different environments with your uh, graffiti tag, um, uh, escaping the cops, and uh, basically just doing tricks and having a having a good time. Really, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just such a unique game. I mean, it, it, it's it's different to things like Tony Hawk Pro Skater in that it's got. I don't know because of the kind of the, the neon soaked kind of visuals and attitude it's got. It, it was almost like a breath of fresh air at the time. Mm, there was yeah. nothing else like it. I'd never seen anything like it. Um, and again, just as we said with Code Veronica, it was a game that kind of went, "Look what the Dreamcast can do! Look at these visuals. This is this is a completely new experience. What genre is it? Is it an adventure? Is it a sports game? Is it a graffiti game? Mm-hmm. The way you could create your own tags." The amount of just the, the sheer number of options, the different characters, the the storyline that was running through it, it just mm-hmm. just it yeah, it just an amazing game really, you know, brilliant. There's how many more superlatives can can I give? You know, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> I, this is a game I I still play on my Vita, 
that that's oh, wow. you know, that's that tells you that you know what what more do you need really i mean it's it's just a brilliant it's synonymous yeah. with the dreamcast really yeah it is. It's it's one of those it's uh, it's one of those experiences that you could only have on the Dreamcast. I mean, I know that's not true anymore, but at the time, it was it, it's one of those. It was it was a Sega game. It was it was a game that felt like Sega. It's uh, mm. a weird thing to say, but um, con- console manufacturers back then had a specific feel to them. Like you you went to Nintendo and you're expecting like platformers, Mario, um, kind of more childish kind of games in a way sometimes to a degree. Um, you went to Sega, you were looking for arcade experiences, colourful, bright, um, and that kind of just encapsulated Sega and also Sega of the time because at that point they had nothing to lose. They could do what the fuck they wanted. Um, you know, they, they they had the Saturn, which had basically been a horrible failure for them outside of Japan. Mm. And, they, you know, they were like, well, fuck it, let's just let's just make these amazing experiences. Let's, let's have free reign and do whatever the fuck we want. And they did, and they came out with something like Jet Set Radio, which is like nothing else that you would have played at the time and, and and i'd wager that there's not many games like it now in fact i mean there's games that have tried but i don't think you have anything that's quite like jet set radio these days um, yeah the, the the amount of creativity that went into it even things even small things that we take for granted now which weren't actually very big then such as being able to log on to the online portal and upload or download different people's tags that they created mm, and, and, and yeah. load them onto your vmu to put into the game stuff like that which was really forward thinking yeah, that's cool um yeah, just just a brilliant, brilliant game. Definitely, um, R- Rich. I, I, I'm hoping you something this so one. worried for asking me. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> I did play have this you... one actually. I have played this game, not as much Hooray. as I wish. I need to, you know, not as much as I, you know, really needed to have, mm. but I've played enough of it. Definitely. Um, yeah, well, Jessa Radio. It, what I really liked about it, it was it did come out at the right time. It was obviously around the time that Tony Hawk was basically kind of on top of the world and skating culture was, you know, all the craze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, yeah, popularizing cell shaded graphics. I just feel like it, it it came at the right time, and I, I don't remember what the actual reception was to it at the time that it came out. I know it's a bit of a cult game now, mm-hmm. but it's just this game. I feel it is actually kind of ready for a reboot, the comeback. When you talk about mm-hmm. Power Stone being something that should come back to modern consoles, but I think in recent years with the likes of like Splatoon, I think this could actually be something that would actually find a good market. I mean, having like sort of squad-based graffiti gameplay, and uh, you know, one side plays you know the gang, the other side play law enforcement. I think it would actually work. I think mm. there'd be a good market for it. I think kids would be uh, all about it. Sounds like we've just uh, you've just come up with the next best thing, the next best game. Um, pitch it to Sega. Let's get them back oh, on. I will <laughs> doing that for sure. Um, <laughs> Steve, what about you? Yes. What are your thoughts about Jet Set um, Radio? <clears throat> I played. I did play Jet Set Radio. I never got on with it as well as I would have liked. I always wanted. I always wanted to like it more than I did, and it's because I always felt the controls lacked something. I felt really out of control all the time. Um, and I found that very frustrating. Um, playing Jet Set Radio is a very frustrating experience for me, but looking at Jet Set Radio and watching others play Jet, Jet Set Radio is uh, a joyous experience because it looks mm. incredible and it sounds incredible. I didn't realise that the soundtrack uh, was all original. I assumed it was all curated stuff, so I'm even more surprised to learn that the music was made for the game. Um, Some of it was curated. 
some of it was. Oh, oh, oh right, okay. Um, Chibo Mato, I think it is. Birthday Cake mm. is in that game, and that's the yeah, which is which is a fucking bizarre song. But yeah, that was curated. It's yeah. a great song. Yeah, yeah the, the, uh, the composer as well, which is great. The composer that I couldn't remember the name of is Hideki Naganuma. So um, ah, that's, right. that's it. Okay, yeah, it, it was so you know late nineties, early two thousands. Loads of games always tried to be really cool, right? Um, always mm-hmm. tried to, to to appeal to that kind of aesthetic, um, and most of them were just cringeworthy. And then Jet Set Radio came along and did it just effortlessly. Um, mm. It was just the coolest thing I had ever seen, and the the art style, like you almost want to say it was flawless because this the shell set the um the the, the cell shading was impressive but it also did such a good job of covering up like low poly count stuff with like the thick mm. black lines uh, and the really bold colors and the really bold shading like when you look back at that game now the low polygons almost look deliberate it looks like it looks exactly how they intended and they didn't yeah. make any concessions um it, it just looks so good uh, uh, a weird specific thing I remember is the smoke or like the tear gas. Yeah, yeah. It mm-hmm. it looked like smoke and tear gas in games up to that point were just like two D sprites that grew bigger. Mm-hmm. Whereas the smoke and tear gas in that game looked like it had volume and it was all cartoony looking and it looked it looked great. Um, yeah. yeah. So I I recognise Jet Set Radio as being a great game. I just I just wish I could play the thing. <laughs> I think those are valid. So, sorry, uh, sorry, Andrew. Um, I was going to say that I think those are valid points. There are some parts of that game which just make you want to rip your, your, your hair out because <laughs> it's, you, you have to do a certain trick or you have to jump across a certain gap mm. and grind a wall and you do it like for the 50th time. You're like, ah, why can I not do this? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's an element of that for sure. But then, you know, what makes up for it is, I mean... There's the the whole argument of whether games are art, and if you were going to look at a game as a piece of art objectively, you could you could say Jet Set Radio is a piece of art just just to look at it. Yeah. It's yeah. a beautiful game, um, very artistic. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's frustrating in points, but it's 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 in, it's insanely enjoyable, and it's a shame that it only ever got one sequel <laughs> and a, a not very well uh, publicized sequel at that. I mean, there's you know Jet Set Radio Future. Mm. I don't think sold particularly well, um, although it was a good game in its own right. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that in another podcast at some point. Um, all right, let's um, wary of time and we don't want to go to two hours like last time. Um, <laughs> what do we say, um, Steve? Game changer? Um, yeah, go on then. Let's say game changer. Go on, go on. You've been <laughs> persuaded. Twist my arm, why don't you? Yeah. Um, Rich, what about you? Yeah, game changer. I mean, it, I mean, again, it was it came at the right time. Um, mm. It was the dawn of cell shading as well, which I was in love with during that time. I was definitely more mm. of a wacky races guy, but yeah, no, I think that that alone, the actual visual side of it, is very important. But it, it's a game I do need to go back to definitely. Um, mm. Yeah, say game changer. Go on. Go on, uh, Tom. I'm gonna say you? crap. No. What <laughs> <laughs> um, a twist. Yeah. Uh, before I give my verdict, can I slip a couple of little tiny factoids in here? Um, there is a, a second version of this Go game on, on yes, the Dreamcast sure. called Dealer Jet Set Radio, which is a slightly enhanced version of the Japanese game, mm-hmm. which is actually really mm-hmm. sought after. Uh, it came with a couple of extra bits and pieces, uh, like you know, collectible items. Um, the team that developed this, the studio that developed it, Smilebit, created another game quite late in the Dreamcast life called 90 Minutes Sega Professional Soccer. 
And it's know. actually one of the worst football games that's ever been produced. <laughs> it's, ap- it's, it's so bad. But it just shows the contrast between the two games. You know, huh. Jet Set Radio and then mm. this 90 Minutes game. And the final one. Do you know why it's called Jet Set Radio and Jet Grind Radio? Do you know the difference or why it's called that? No. Um, so in the States, there is a band called Jet Set Satellite. And they didn't want it to oh. be confused with the band. They were, Apparently they were quite big oh. at the time. I'd never heard of them before I discovered this fact. So they changed it to Jet Grind Radio in, in the uh, United States. So there was no huh. confusion. So there you go. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, my verdict is uh, is Game Changer. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be really, doesn't it? It's, um, yeah, it is for me too. So I, I, I say all round, we've got a Game Changer. Um, right, moving on. Um, a bit, another wacky game it's not wacky races rich um <laughs> but a bit of a, a bit of a strange game uh released on the 6th of october on the dreamcast uh was space channel 5 um it's no secret i've said before i've completed this game close to 20 times um i'm a big fan of this game i love it to pieces it's it's bright it's colorful it's an unashamedly camp um and it's and it's very simple, but it's also very complicated and difficult to master. And I just I love it. Again, it's it, like I said with Jet Set Radio, it's peak Sega um, in this period. It's it's exactly the kind of thing you'd think they'd come out with. Um, and it, again, it kind of it emphasizes the Dreamcast and what it was all about. I think. Um, but let's go to Rich. Uh, Rich, is this is this something that you played much of at all? I never played with who? What was her name again? Yulala. Ooh la la, yeah. Ooh la la, yeah. I never played with her. I never played this game. I'm afraid. I'm really sorry. The biggest thing that stuck out to me was seeing Michael Jackson was in this game, which obviously, as time has gone on, is an unfortunate <laughs> fact. Um, yeah, that's true. But yeah, it. To be honest, the whole like dance rhythm based musical games were never really my thing. I mean, I was mildly intrigued by the Spice World game when it came out, but <laughs> never, never Space Channel Five. I'm afraid. Sorry, it was never on my radar. So Interesting sorry. thing to admit there, Rich. I um, was, I game was awesome. It did. I won't lie. So. <laughs> um, Steve, how about yourself? Hello. Um, Hello. I so you finished this game what twenty odd times? Did you say? I think I watched yeah. you finish it maybe half of those. <laughs> um, and I did play it a few times myself as well. This game, I am not the target audience for this game, um, <clears throat> but I'm really glad it exists. And uh, it was fun to watch the amount of joy it brought you. But my God, what a weird game! <laughs> it's fucking bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. I I, okay. I I I remember the bits that stick out for me are the pre-rendered backgrounds that don't sync up with the polygonal models. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And when you fit, when you get all the way to the end of the game, there is a moment of a black screen. So you would get a bonus for getting 100%, right? You hit all the targets 100% of the time. And at the end of the game, there was a black screen, and then they snuck one in at the very end. Apropos of nothing, it just goes boop, and you've got to hit the button at the right time. And if you fuck up that last one, you mess up the 100% thing. And I remember you nailing that every time as well. Even worse, I think I remember that was after all the credits had rolled. So you had That's to sit right. through the entirety right, of the credits, yeah, yeah. all of the nice. credits, and then it was like a chew out of nowhere, and it's like, oh, fuck. And it took me ages to get that down, I'm pretty sure. And it's like, yeah, that, I think that's why I played it so many times. You're, you're completely right. It's, yeah, crazy. Was it, was it a game you could play with other peripherals as well? Like, use like the fishing controller and stuff, the fishing rod? Probably mm-hmm. was. There's a few that you could play with the fishing rod. Yeah. Tom, is that one? I don't think so, no. 
No, Roger Tennyson, okay. I assume. Okay. So what's uh, Tom coming to you? What's what's your thoughts on this game? I hate to say it, I, I absolutely hate this game. I can't stand it. <laughs> I cannot stand it. I, I, I think it wow. looks really interesting visually. It's got a really nice aesthetic to it. It's got like a sort of a weird kind of retro futuristic vibe. And Ulala is just, you know, really cool as a character concept. I just mm. can't stand rhythm games. And I remember when I got it, when the Dreamcast was like contemporary, I put it into my Dreamcast because I'd, I'd never seen it being played. I'd only seen it in the magazines. I didn't really know what it was. So I was like, oh, I'll give this a go, you know, to put it in. Mm. Game starts. It's like, you know, up, oh, chew. And I'm like, what, what, what am I supposed to be doing here? I don't understand what I'm meant to be doing. I thought I'd be controlling <laughs> her walking around or something. I didn't get that it was mm. going to be a rhythm game. Um, and that just turned me off. Uh, and I, I think I took it back to like uh, Electronics Boutique or something the next day and traded it in for something else. Um, but obviously years later, I, I re-bought it and tried to play it again. And I just, for the life of me, couldn't, couldn't get into it. However, a friend of mine who was staying at my house one time, we'd been out and you know for a night out, he stopped over at mine. The next day when we woke up in this sort of haze, he was like, oh, you've got a Dreamcast. I was like, yeah. He goes, oh, what, what games have you got? So he flicked through this like big folder that I had of games. And he, for some reason, pulled out Space Channel 5. He had no idea what it was, put it in. And he was amazing at it. He was just, he just got it. And he, <laughs> and he, and he sat there and he played it all the way through. To, I, I don't think he got right way to the end, but he got pretty far into it. And I, I was like, mm. I've never seen any of this before. You're, you're educating me on this game. So I just kind of sat there and watched him play it, which was quite mesmerizing in, in a way. It's almost like a sort of a, a, a drug trip. In a, you know? mm. Mm. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's not it's not a game for me. I'm afraid it's uh, interesting, but not not what I'm a fan of. That's fair enough. Um, all right, well let's uh, let's see what we think. Um, I'm going to be sensible about this. I'm, I know it's not a game changer. It, it really isn't, but I I enjoyed it a lot. So it's it's a game. Uh, Steve, what about you? What do you think? Um, hmm, uh, hmm. Mm. Come back to me. Come back to me. Oh, I'm I'm worried about what you're thinking about this. Um, <laughs> Rich, what about you? So I was I wanted to say game changer just simply because it meant so much to you. Just to be nice, <laughs> but I'm gonna go with a solid game. I don't think it's crap. Yeah. It it was a popular genre. It still kind of is. You know, the yeah. rhythm genre has evolved a little bit over the years. But yeah, I say game. Fair enough. Tom, what about you? I'm, I'm gonna have to say crap. I'm sorry. Ooh, well, <laughs> I can't stand uh, it. I can't stand it. <laughs> sorry. Uh, that's uh, it's, that's your opinion. That's fine. I uh, I'm just gonna kind of take you out of the call. Very much on the game of the year podcast. Yeah. Now. <laughs> um, Steve, I'm coming back to you. Um, um, what are your thoughts? I'm not going to tell you which side of game I was in two minds about. I'm just going to say game. I can guess fair. what you were talking <laughs> about. To be perfectly honest, uh, I, I kind of get that. That's fine. But I'm I'm glad you say game because at least then we're not a fifty fifty split in game of crap <laughs> for the game that I completed twenty times. Um, <laughs> fine, that's that's fine. So a, a game is a game. Um, all right. Next up is one that hopefully we'll have a little bit more good to say about. Fingers crossed. Um, this one came out earlier on in the year. This was the twenty fifth of February. 2000 uh for the dreamcast and that was uh the arcade port of Ooh. crazy taxi 
Um, Rich, I'm going to come to you first about this one because I know for a fact that you have played this. Well, I wrote about it and I just lied all you the did. way through. Maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. if, if, don't don't say that now. It's in the book. I can't take it out. Don't say you've lied about it. No, I, I, so what are your I, thoughts? I played this game. I own this game to this day and I bloody well love it. I absolutely love it. Mm. In a way, similar appeal to when the Tony Hawk games came out. It just had this cool factor about it. It came out at the right time. I mean, other than the perfectly tuned gameplay, what I loved about it was it, even to, even now, it kind of really captures the era in which it was developed, the era in which it was mm. released. It is the most late 90s, early 2000s game imaginable, an era that I absolutely mm. love. Um, mm. if everything from just the visual styles, you know, dyed hair and Hawaiian shirts, the soundtrack, which is iconic. <laughs> it just... Yeah. I love that. It's like Guy Fieri, the game. I absolutely adore it. <laughs> it just takes me back to a good, good old days of pump, um, pop punk and new metal. And it's just, it's just fun, addictive game. It's a game that anyone can just pick up and play. There's no explaining it. It's, it's just manic. It's, I don't have any words to put it into because it is so simplistic. There's nothing really deep to Crazy Taxi. It's just incredibly fun game a really great cool factor as well which is nice to see on the dreamcast from like mm-hmm. the in-game branding you know for all your kfc and feeler stores and levi's it just it was just bonkers absolutely bonkers mm. game um i don't know what else to say about crazy taxi how how you know how much i can just wax lyrical about it other than i just love it absolutely love it yeah um, I, th- I think you've you've said a lot of good words about it, and they're, they're all incredibly true. Um, Tom, would you would you concur with Rich's uh, thoughts on the on the game? I would concur 100. percent Yeah, it's th- this game is basically just a, a kind of snapshot of, of that period in time, and not just that, but Sega's kind of arcade heritage. Kind of mm. what they were doing with mm. the Dreamcast was it was basically a, a shrunk down Naomi system, so they were bringing all mm. of their arcade hits into the home. Um, Longevity is not a big thing, but I don't think that really matters when it's a game as iconic as Crazy Taxi. I mean, you see the big yellow car with the big fins on the back, or you know, if you choose one of the other ones, the big Cadillac or whatever. The the, the iconic characters, the, as as um, as Rich said, the um, the music left such an imprint on me. I mean, I I still listen to that kind of music because of this game. Uh, you know, and I'm not even afraid to admit that. You know, uh, the Offspring, uh, Sum Forty One, all them <laughs> bands. You know, I I love all that stuff, and it's because of this game. Um, Man of taste. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I played it to death. Um, and it's obviously its sequel as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, it, it, it's, it, what other game can screams Dreamcast than, you know, mm. the, you know Crazy Taxi? It's the, the, the iconic imagery, the, the blue sky, the, the grass, the grey sort, of, um, sort of shade of the tarmac, um, the stupid, um, funny uh, characters that you have to pick up, you know. You know, take me to the KFC or take me to you know the, the record store or whatever it might be. Um, it's just so mm. simple. You know, you don't need any instructions. Mm. You don't need any anything other than you've got one trigger to go, one trigger to break. You know, obviously there's little moves you can do as well, um, like boosting and that kind of thing. But it's so simple. Stopping the perimeter of the mm. of the person, get them to the destination before the time runs out. What more do you need? You know, simple. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna get a little bit emotional actually now, but it's like. Other than just the fact it was a snapshot of the era, I think it serves as a bit of a time capsule and it's a reminder of what we don't really have anymore. Mm. And that is just the arcade. The brash, mm. loud, mm-hmm. just 
it's yeah I don't remember the last time I set foot in an arcade proper and yeah I missed that and I think Crazy Taxi kind of takes us back to that time yeah and Absolutely. yeah she's surprisingly powerful like yeah totally. it evokes a lot of good memories of going to like Planet Laser and playing <laughs> on the arcade machines before you you were due to go in and play your game it's just yeah I think I think it's actually quite poignant <laughs> yeah so Absolutely, yeah, agreed. Definitely agreed, and uh, and yeah, Tom, you're right as well in in the fact that it, it just exemplifies the Dreamcast. It is the if you thought of one game, I mean, to be fair, there are so many Dreamcast games that exemplify that era, but Crazy Taxi stands out amongst them. I think as as the one. I mean, not not only because of what it is, but the fact that it's obviously got such an enduring popularity that it's been ported, you know, everywhere unfortunately without its soundtrack and without yeah. the um or the other stuff which kind of is part of what makes it so good um so that's that's a shame but the gameplay itself is still good enough that it stands up well without those um it's just not quite as it's not quite as good i guess so the dreamcast version is always mm. going to be the better one i suppose we, we should all, we um, should also give props to the um the iconic announcer who you know <laughs> oh yeah crazy yeah, minute. yeah. <laughs> I love that guy he's great yeah um Steve, what about you? Mm. What are your thoughts about Crazy Taxi? Um, I, I think the chaps here have articulated it extremely well. I'm not really sure how much I can add there. The only thing I will disagree with is its lack of longevity. It definitely has longevity. In hour one, you drive fast, you listen to Offspring, and in hour 100, you drive fast and you listen to Offspring. And <laughs> you don't crazy need box, anything else. You've got crazy yeah, jump, you got, crazy... crazy box, yeah. Come on, you're tempting bowling. No, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> but um, it's like you don't get a lot of games like that now where you can just jump in and play it and it's the same you know and it's and that's enough um Mm -hmm. games are very weighed down these days by progression systems and all that which is great for those games but there's something very pure about crazy taxi which Mm. yes still 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 has a place in my heart good that's nice oh i feel i don't know that that was like a really warm hug talking about (laughs) crazy taxi um i i have a feeling i know where this is going to go um rich i'll come to you first game changer game shit bloody game changer i love it sorry didn't change the world but it's just bloody fantastic so yeah game changer (laughs) awesome tom it's a it's a game changer for me yeah fantastic uh steve uh game changer yeah and i will also say game changer It, it definitely was it's uh it's a fantastic game. So, yeah. Can um, I just well, we had, we had an infinitely better cover than the um, than the North America as well. Our artwork was so much better. Just what was the North American big, cover? It was like actual Axel. It was like basically the taxi front on with Axel driving behind it, and there was passengers. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like hand drawn, illustrated. Mm-hmm. But we just had the iconic yellow sleeve, and I, I mean, I'm yellow is my favorite color anyway. And I, just, I still find that visually yeah. striking to this day. That yellow on the blue spine, it just looks fantastic. Yeah, it I is. Agree. It is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very simple, but yeah, very striking for sure. Um, now, we've mentioned this game in the past, and I know at least one person is going to have some interesting opinions on this. Uh oh. Um, uh oh. Um, no. It is a game that released this year. Finally, coming round to it, um, and I mean, this is a big, big Dreamcast release. I'm not sure you can get much bigger, actually, thinking about it. Um, This released on the 1st of December um, on Dreamcast in Europe. Um, Nearly an entire year. I think it was, in fact, more than a year after it released in Japan. So we had to wait a bloody long time. But we finally got it in uh, December 2000. And that is Shenmue. Um, 
Tom, I feel like I want to come to you first mm-hmm. on Shenmue because um, I've I've spoken to the uh, the guys on the Dream Pod about Shenmue a mm-hmm. fair bit, and obviously with Shenmue three releasing, yeah. Um, but I haven't spoken to you about this yet. So, what are your thoughts about Shenmue? Um, well, uh, I'm not a super fan. I'll, I'll be that. I'll be. Okay. I'll, I'll be that up front. I'll say that up front. Um, at the time it came out, I wasn't a big fan. Um, I, I, I was wowed by the visuals, as ev- as everybody probably was at the time. Um, I, I just was. I know it's. I'm not going to go into the whole rabbit hole of RPGs and action games. I wasn't a big fan of this style of game. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I actually only played it sort of later on, probably in around 2005. It was after I'd, mm. it was after I'd started the Dreamcast Junkyard. I went back and investigated Shenmue because I'd never really given it the time of day at the time it was out because I just didn't like the look of it other than the visuals, if that makes sense. Um, but then when I did actually get into it, I, I, I did find quite an enjoyable sort of playable curio more than anything when I actually kind of went into it. Um, and so I finished the game and then went on and started uh, Shenmue 2, um, but stopped Shenmue 2 about halfway through because I, I, I kind of got bored of it at, at that point. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a little taken aback by the kind of mythical status the game's got. <laughs> Obviously, I was aware of how sort of big it was of a deal for Sega financially because they were developing Shenmue, for, you know, for the Saturn, weren't they? And then it, obviously, it, the little disc yeah. that came bundled with Virtual Fighter Three in Japan with the Project Barkley kind of videos on it, and you know, this thing's coming, but you don't know what it is yet, and the, all the technology that went into it, the free, you know, the f- reactive eyes entertainment and all that kind of thing, and all the little uh, details, the, the the arcade games that you could play, the people you could speak to in the street, it, you know, it, for all intents and purposes, it was almost like a blueprint for things that came later. You know these open world, mm. these open world epics that we get now and take for granted. Obviously, back then that wasn't the case. Um, but again, like some of the other games we've spoken about already, it's very much of its time. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Shenmue, but I can appreciate why other people appreciate it. If that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, I get that. yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Very, very fair about it. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who probably isn't going to be fair about it and who's been cheering at your comments in the background um, <laughs> on the video is Steve. Um, mm-hmm. Shenmue's a bad game. It's a bad game. Tell us what you really think. I didn't Shen- need to say it. You Shenmue, jump, jump straight in. Shenmue's a, it's a bad game. Um, if you were lucky enough to be uh, into gaming at the time, <clears throat> I think Tom put it very well when he called it a playable curio. If you were lucky enough to be into gaming at the time, you got to... You got to you got to play Shenmue and you got to see a bunch of stuff you'd never seen before in games, right? You got to see a level of detail that you'd never seen before in games. Um, but what a lot of people have done is that they've 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 mistaken something that they've never played before with it being a, a good game because Shen <laughs> Shenmue's a bad game. <laughs> it, 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 mm. It's it's I. I, I it is a blueprint. It is. It is a blueprint for stuff that's come after it. But Shenmue itself is is punishing, and it disrespects your time, and it's meandering and it's bloated. And I am similarly. I I I, I don't understand the legendary status that Shenmue has cultivated. I just I don't get it. I don't, and I, and I have to assume that the ridiculously massive Kickstarter success has to be 
nostalgia fueled because Shenmue looks like more of the same. Shenmue three rather looks like more of the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't uh, get it. It's so bizarre to me that people adore Shenmue the amount that they do. We are we are going to come to blows today over stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> Rich has been shaking his head in the background as well. I mean, just before I go on to Rich, you you said about it being bloated, but also meandering and stuff like that. I mean, I wouldn't call it technically bloated, but I would definitely say it's meandering. But I don't see that as a bad thing. I see that as part of the charm of it but anyway i'll come back rich tell us what is it that you love so much about Shenmue? i mean i'm gonna start off and say that i'm actually the oddest Shenmue fan in existence in that over mm-hmm. played neither Shenmue 2 or Shenmue 3 <laughs> but i hold like the first Shenmue up not on a technical level i, I can admit it's not actually the best game ever made but it's my favorite game of all time um mm-hmm. my love for it basically kind of almost transcends the actual story, the characters, the actual sequels <laughs> that followed. And it's more rooted in the feeling that the game created when it originally came out. Because, um, I mean, it was that time, obviously, us beleaguered Dreamcast fans, we were just praying for this one, like, killer app title that would basically bring Sega back into the fight. And Shenmue was, at least felt like it was that game. And it got me so excited and looking forward to it i mean it was the game that i would watch that trailer on the dream on disc ad nauseum i had a mate who had a ps1 and i would constantly show him like the trailer showing him the gameplay and just waiting for his reaction just hoping he was going to trade his ps1 in and get a dreamcast i just (laughs) had so much emotional investment in the game and this meant a lot to me i mean i've always Mm. operated more emotions anyway than actual Logic, I guess. <laughs> but I just... Even when that game came out, I got it on Christmas yeah, Christmas of that year, and I, I played it for hours, and I can understand the criticisms that people levy against it, but it just... It just pulled me in. It was like no game I played. It was the first time I played like an open-world adventure. I think it was the first time we mm. really had one. And just living that second life, roaming around Japan, I mean, from the people you interacted with the businesses abiding by an actual schedule they would open and close at set times you had to be places at set times you couldn't just Mm. fast travel like you could in later games you actually had this structure that i never experienced before and i was always i just it was just so tremendously different um Mm. i don't know what to say really it just Whenever you speak about Shemmy, you can you can tell how passionate you are about it, which is which is amazing. And I yeah. think we we need to let you speak about it today because I've got a feeling that Game of the Year will come around and you may not get much chance to speak about it if yeah. people know what I mean. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it's one of those games that either elicits an incredibly emotional response from you, or you go eh. Um, I, so or, I, or in Steve's I, case, actively hate it. Well, I didn't say I actively hated it, and I'll back Rich up on a lot. Morris did. And I, 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 <laughs> I'll back Rich up on a lot of that. There are the the thing that I remember liking the most about that game uh, as it gets on in the day, as it starts to get late in the evening. Uh, Rio has a curfew. Uh, the sun starts to go down, and businesses start to close, and friendly faces disappear off the street, and they're replaced with. Uh, stumbling drunks and things start to feel a bit more dangerous and you start to think oh there's a reason i've got a curfew i should prob 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 i should probably go home at this point 
like that all felt super unique in a game at the time yeah. i hadn't felt like that and it all felt really authentic and it felt like this japanese town it was like i'd gone on a trip and i was experiencing life in a yeah. different country I mean, that all that stuff was really impressive shenmue is a bad game still <laughs> because it's it's taken six hours to get to that point and you've waited for that one dude who isn't going to speak to you until it gets to eight o'clock at night and you've looked at all the capsule toys and you've played all the arcade games and you've just the game literally expects you to wait until nightfall like if you've never played Shenmue go and read up about Shenmue go and watch videos about Shenmue because it's important in a lot of ways but don't play Shenmue because Shenmue's a bad game Wow. <laughs> Oof. Oof. I, just... um, I bet Tom thought that he had uh, he had a, ba- a bad opinion about Shenmue, like an unpopular opinion. Steve, you there's have... a part there's a part in Shenmue there's a part in Shenmue where you have to get a job and then you do the job. There's no there's <laughs> yeah. nothing else. Yeah, there's nothing else later, in there. You just later, do the I fucking got job. A with license in real life, and I <laughs> I will credit Shenmue for that. It gave me life skills. So thank you. <laughs> There you go. There you go. I mean, um, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't I mean, get if, it. I don't get it. No, I know. I know. And and I have a feeling I know exactly what you're going to say uh, when I ask the question. Uh, is it a game changer, Steve? It's not a game changer. Uh, and to to say that it didn't have an impact would be disingenuous because of course it did. It popularized QTEs. Um, it was in many ways the blueprint, as we said before, for a lot of things that came after. But I can't call it a game changer because it's such a shudderingly unfun game to play. Sorry. So what are we saying? Is it a game or is it? Is I don't it know. Fun? I don't know. I don't. I don't. It's yeah. It's, I don't know. It's a let's say game. Let's say low end of game. Low end of game. All right. Yeah. Uh, Tom, what about you? Well, after listening to all that, I've just had to, uh, you know, kind of collect myself and, uh, you know, <laughs> I thought these people were going to start fighting then. Um, <laughs> oh, it'll come to blows one day. Um, I think you both made really valid points and I agree with both of you to a certain extent. Um, it did so many things really well, but it also did so many things really badly as far as I'm concerned. Have you tried playing it recently with that D-pad control scheme? It's just awful. You don't like you running with a trigger? It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's the way to play. Come on. But, you know, on the, on the flip side of that, it, it's also quite, quite uh, when I can speak, it's also quite a relaxing game because you can just spend time meandering through the streets. Mm. You can spend time looking through the drawers of uh, Rio's house. I mean, all the little incidental details, like his watch being sponsored by Timex and even having an mm. Indie Glow kind of function, little things like that. Mm. I believe even the weather is actually time correct for the for the period. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's all the little details like that that do make it. You know, when you put it all together, it is quite an impressive feat. You know, they did this, and obviously using the internal clock and everything like that. Um, I'm gonna have to say, this is a very low end game changer. <gasps> Reluctantly, okay. but you can't deny the importance of Shenmue and, and the, the kind of legacy that it's created, because it, you know it's 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 a game that most gamers, whatever. Kind of generation they're from they'll recognize the name and the importance of it so mm. so rich now we've heard uh, what they have to say uh, what do you think game game changer 
yeah, game changer for me, definitely. A very, very yeah. important game, a game that made me fall in love with Japan as well. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I want to go to Japan, still do, haven't been, and mm. I basically credit Shemu for that. And one day I will go to I will go to Debrita Street, and it will be a very emotional yes. experience. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing for Shemu fans as well, isn't it? It's going to that street in particular, it's uh, mm. I've seen people post Twitter posts about them going there. It's a big thing. So yeah. Um, I'm going to say Game Changer as well, um, which means it's a Game Changer, Steve. Um, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> yeah, Steve. Um, but one thing I, I did note is that Tom, I, I've changed the way I say this now. I used to call it Shenmue, but I got the piss taken out of me because everybody else says Shenmue. Um, mm. But Tom, I heard you, you said Shenmue. So, Shen, yeah, Shenmue. Is that how you pronounce it? Shenmue, Shen, I think it was, Shen, was my accent. Shen, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, Shenmue. Shen, Shenmue. Shenmue. Maybe, maybe it's <laughs> a Northern sh- I've, thing. Possibly, I've heard yeah. Shenmue before. So. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right. It's, weird, pronounced, so. um, it's pronounced bad, bad game. <laughs> I think we've given Steve enough of a platform for his bad opinions. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> right. So that's the eight games that I wanted to talk about. Um, we are kind of coming to a point where we need to speed things up because uh, it's getting on so what we're going to do we're going to go to tom and see if he has any games that i've missed that he really wants to bring up yeah um all of these came out in the year 2000 um i won't go into great detail about all of them i'll just pick a select few Mm. that i think are really cool and i very much love um so the first one it's a game called rush 2049 this also came out on the n64 and the playstation but it's a fantastic arcade racer really good game if you get the chance to play that um there's mm. one called four by four evolution which is a sort of free roaming four by four almost like a oh yeah um mm. us exclusive but really cheap if you can find it online uh really good game obviously metropolis street racer fantastic game one of my, one of my favorite racing games of all time um mm. a game called i'm not a big fan of the series but mm-hmm. i'm a fan of this game it's called gundam side story um which is like a big mech like mm. robot fighting game that's really cool with destructible environments um, that's quite a good one to get. D2 uh, is a game from uh, Warp. Um, yes. Kenji, you know. Um, fantastic. Love that Yeah, one. great game. Um, mm. Demolition Racer is another... It's almost like a de- destruction derby style game. Um, you know, stock cars, smash things up. Really good fun. Um, mm. Last Blade 2 is a sort of sword and, sword and sort of staff-based beat-em-up um, one-on-one fighting game. Uh, Sprite-based, really mm. cool. SNK game. I think SNK, I think it is. I hope it is. Um, Mars, Ma- <laughs> uh, Mars Matrix is another one, a sort of 2D shmup, um, vertical scrolling, loads of content, loads to do, fantastic game. Um, v Valley 2, a port of the PlayStation game, but far superior in every way. Uh, Four Wheel Thunder, um, another 4x4 style kind of dirt racing game. Um, Super Magnetic Neo is almost like mm. the Dreamcast version of Crash Bandicoot, but you play as a character who's got a magnet in his head and you have to switch the polarities to jump oh, yeah, over. Yeah. yeah, fantastic game. Looks amazing as well. Really good graphics. Um, just a few more and I'll finish. Um, <laughs> F, uh, Ferrari F355 Challenge. Oh, great. oh my God. How, uh, yeah. how did I even think of that? <laughs> great game, especially with the link cable, if you can find one of those. They're really uncommon, but great mm. two-player game. Um, Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Again, one-on-one fighting, mm-hmm. well, three-on-three if you're in that mode. 2D sort of fighting game. Dead or Alive 2, amazing 3D fighting yes. game. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, the the last one is a favourite of mine, a particular favourite. It's uh, Spirit of Speed 1937. Oh, classic. <laughs> classic. <laughs> it's not, by the way. It's absolutely terrible. Don't play that. Do not, do not play that game. 
I can say that. I know, yeah. I know one of the guys who worked on it, so it's fine. But... <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of games. I mean, ones that I, I'm pretty sure released this year, which you missed, which I'm not sure why you missed. Power Stone 2, Choo Choo Rocket, mm. uh, Echo the Dolphin, man, oh, um, yeah. and Sega Bass uh, Fishing. Yeah. Oh yeah, say goodbye. Oh yeah, big games, big games. Um, Rich, any particular you want to mention? Uh, I think really the standout for me is uh, Soldier of Fortune. Definitely Mm. Um, says a lot about me as a PC gamer in that it was to this day is the most spec intensive PC game I've ever owned, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and my PC barely ran it, just about, and it ran it ran pretty well. Um, Just remember that being the most graphic hardcore game I'd ever owned at that point. I mean, they had like GTA. Mm. This was obviously post-GTA 1, but that was a bit more cartoony in a way. Oh, yeah. This yeah, was yeah. just nasty and spiteful and just horrifying. Yeah. Um, didn't want to yeah. stop played it. It's just an FPS where you play as like Vietnam vet. I think it's John Mullins, I believe. Mm. Yeah. And you just gun your way through some nasty people. And the biggest thing about it was that... Um, I forget the name of the engine they used now, um, but you had... Uh, I think it was up to 26... Um, body parts that can be dismembered with gunshot fire so you mm-hmm. could just blow heads off arms off legs off i think you could shoot guys in the groin as well and they would just collapse in a heap screaming <laughs> and just blood pumping yeah. out everywhere it was just fantastic and i always remember the sounds of that shotgun it might just oh, be my so sound loud. cards i think it's my sound card struggling i don't know my speakers were really just dying but <laughs> yeah so loud was, yeah it was just a fantastic game um yeah. never played the sequel um i would love to play again though it, yeah great game great game they ported it to the Dreamcast, so they one did. could uh, play on the Dreamcast, yeah. Yeah, potentially. The, the Dreamcast version's got really, really long loading times, though, for some reason. Yeah. Literally, yeah. like, five minutes. Wow. Mm. PC ports like that tended to, though. <laughs> like, I've played I've played the um, version of Half-Life that came out, yeah. the, the kind of the bootleg, and the load times on that are absolutely horrendous. Um, but, yeah, I think there was something about games of that type that got ported to the Dreamcast just it just wasn't made for those kind of PC games, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Steve, mm. anything that you wanted to mention in particular? Um, Diablo 2 came out this year, um, yeah. which um, is a big... Well, it was a big deal for me at the time. Um, that's, mm. that's an incredible game. I would still enjoy that now if I went back to it. Uh, I'd never played a game like that before. Mm-hmm. It's basically isometric action RPG um, where you click a lot and hit stuff and they die real good and it's very sad very satisfying to go through <laughs> basically work your way through massive dungeons and fight hordes of skeletons i mean the amount of skeletons on screen at once was just awesome and you could be this barbarian guy who would like do battle cries and slam on the ground and skeletons around him would just shatter into pieces um yeah fantastic game uh, endlessly replayable and it had an online co-op as well which was just great fun yeah it was uh basically if you if you play a game now that has loot in it um and the sort of treadmill of the game is loot is getting better loot and upgrading Mm. uh that started off with diablo i think it was diablo that started the color scheme as well that's used now with games where purple's the best and blue is the second best green middle you know the color scheme i mean i'm pretty sure that was diablo but yeah, yeah very uh very influential and uh, amazing game awesome there we go um there's just there's just a lot of games in this year and if we mm. had more time that we could talk about them forever basically i mean just the list even the list that tom gave there's just so many um and there's just a lot of dreamcast games this year it was it was a big year for dreamcast games just so many of them but um 
what we're going to do instead uh, before we finish, obviously we've got uh, Rich's uh, come back with a little bit of a segment, which we'll, we'll do right at the end. Uh, but before that, we're going to do the tradition, uh, the quiz. Um, and this time it's 2000 or 2010. Um, so for those who haven't listened before, uh, Rich is going to be pitted against our guest to guess whether or not uh, a game that I uh, read out was released in 2000 or 2010. <laughs> and because we have Steve with us, I will ask Steve what his thoughts are as well. But it doesn't count. But, you know, you can play along, you can play along Steve. Um, basically, if, uh, we have been counting as well. I think, Rich, at the moment, it's 2-1, isn't it, to, to, to you, I think? Yeah, definitely. I yeah, believe. it has to be. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it might we'll be higher than that. It's probably like 10-1. Okay. If he says, uh, I've won. <laughs> so on episode four, yeah, uh, you've won already. Um, but if we get to episode twelve, and uh, which will bring us to the two thousand and eight, if we get there and uh, you've got the majority, we'll give you a prize of some kind. Yeah. I don't know what that is yet. I'll, I'll figure it out. Um, so, Tom, are you ready to play? Yeah, ready, ready, ready. Mm. Um, I think it's tradition for Rich to go first. So yeah. I will uh, read Rich's question. Rich, first game on the list. Uh, was this released in 2000 or 2010? Dragon Warrior Monsters. Um, I want to say 2000. 2000. Okay. It's a, it's a Steve, what would you? Yeah, it's a guess. Steve, what would you say? Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say 2010 on that one. Ah, it's going to go the opposite. Okay, interesting. Well, um, it sort of it I... sort of sounds like a phone game to me. I don't know why. You think so? Hmm. Yeah, I can see what you mean. Um. I can tell you that Rich is correct. It was released in the 2000 for the Game Boy Color. Um, this was the first in the Dragon Quest Monsters series, but back then it was Dragon Warrior rather than Dragon Quest. Uh, there you go. So that's one point to you, Rich. Um, Tom, you're up next. Um, your game is SSX. Oh, uh, that would be 2000. 2000. Steve, what would you have thought? SSX would be 2000, I think, yeah. Yeah, you're correct. I tried to trick you here. Yes, 2000 for the PS2. <laughs> uh, there was another game titled SSX, of course, but that came out in 2012. So, tried to trick you there. Didn't work. <laughs> um, <laughs> next up, Rich. Um, your game is uh, Vandal Hearts Flames of Judgment. Um, I'll say 2010. 2010 any particular reason no <laughs> no just a guess that's fine it's Steve, not 2000 vandal hearts <laughs> flames of judgment mm. uh yeah 2010 uh you'd both be right yeah 2010 for the ps3 right. and the xbox the xbox 360 even okay so that's two to rich and one to Tom. Uh, Tom, let's see if you can draw a level. Uh, your next game is Threads of Fate. Oh, interesting. I've never heard of this. This is going to be a complete guess. Mm. I'm going to say 2010. Steve, what do you think? Well, say, say the name again, sorry. Threads of Fate. Threads of Fate. Uh, yeah, mm. 2010. I'm afraid you'd both be wrong. That was released in the year 2000. Oh. It was released on <laughs> PS1. Um, it was released in the US this year. It never released in the EU. So I did give it kind of tricky there a little bit. Um, <laughs> so 2-1 so far. Um, Rich, your question is next. Mm -hmm. um, and yours is Dragon Ball Origins 2. Um, I'd say... I'm going to go 2010. 
2010. Steve, yeah. what do you think? Mm, yeah, I'd agree with that. 2010. And you would both be right. It was released 2010 oh. on the Nintendo DS. <laughs> yeah. Um, that does mean that Rich has won. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. He's, he's answered all three. <laughs> Thank um, you. But we'll go. Th- Tom will do this one anyway, just see if you can guess it. Um, your last question was going to be Lead and Gold, Gangs of the Wild West. Oh, God. Uh, 2000. Steve, what would you think? Uh, I'm pretty sure I know about that game. I think that's 2010. <sighs> Steve is right. 2010 <laughs> on the PS3 and the PC. <laughs> There you go. Well, um, and we uh, <laughs> that was a PC as a PC game. It came out of the PS3 as well. Um, I do have the tiebreaker. Um, I don't think which is going to get this one, but let's just see. Let's see what all three of you think. The tiebreaker would have been Final Fantasy: The Four Heroes of Light. I'm gonna say Rich. Never heard of that one at all. Um, I'm gonna say 2010 again. Tom? Yeah, I'm going to go 2010. Steve? Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. Sounds like a phone game. <laughs> yeah, close. You've both been right. It's 2010 on the Nintendo DS. Um, and it was this was actually... Um, they were going to make a sequel to it, uh, but didn't. And they turned what was going to be the sequel into the game Bravely Default. Oh, ah, so right. So... That's the quiz. Well done, Rich, for another win. Well done. Um, commiserations, Tom. Um, didn't quite make it, but thanks for playing. His pleasure was all mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, that leads us on uh, to Rich, who has uh, he's, he's ditched his internet book, um, and he's got something a little bit different mm. for us today. Yeah, so what have you got for us, Rich? A little bit of a rant, actually. I think Tom did actually touch upon this very briefly earlier, but as a bit of a racing fan, there's one game I do want to talk about that came out this year. Um, yeah, racing game that probably is the worst game on the Dreamcast, and it's arguably one of the worst games ever made. I'm talking about a game so bad that it claims seemingly hid behind the LGN name just because they were so embarrassed. Um, I'm, of course, talking about Spirit of Speed, a game that not so much had 1937 in its title as if it felt like 1937 was the year it was made. Uh, so maybe Tom could help me on this. He has actually got some uh, passionate things to say about this game, haven't you, Tom? Um, is passionate the right word? Uh, <laughs> unbroadcastable? <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, this is just an absolute... I believe the term is dumpster fire that the kids are using. Yeah, I think moment. that's fair. It's just a mishmash of horrendously poor textures unplayable car controls awful visuals terrible frame rate although i tell you what it does have going for it some very nice kind of period music in the menus yeah Um, so it's got that going for it and it's quite accurate when it comes to the actual cars that are in the game there are they are Mm. actually real vehicles from the period and the real racetracks as well um so that's good everything else is terrible so. <laughs> For what I remember, I thought the PC version was actually kind of serviceable. It's just the Dreamcast version that absolutely stinks. I might be wrong. I never yeah. played on the PC. I've never played the PC version either. Um, an interesting little anecdote about this game is that a while ago, I was looking at writing a, a retrospective on it, uh, and I wanted to get some input from one of the developers who works on the game, uh, Broadsword Interactive, I believe, was the developer. Mm, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, and um, I, after sending a couple of emails, I actually got given a name of the guy who actually 
was the lead designer on the game. I sent him an email. I said, look, I want to write a, a retrospective about your game. He was quite kind of up for it. And I said to him, look, I just want to be clear that it's going to be a kind of what went wrong. I never got another email. So <laughs> he was like, no. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah. Yeah. It's it's the only racing game I've ever played that, in the, even in the rearview mirrors, it was just a single static image, as if you were like towing a matte painting behind you. <laughs> I, I just find that astonishing. Even in two thousand, that that's what that was. Like, how are you supposed to wow. check out the people on your tail? I mean, AI was crap. I mean, instead of just simply trying to overtake you, cars would bump into the back of you, even if you're on the racing line. I just, it just did everything wrong as a racing game. I, I just. I don't know how it got released. I really do not know. Yeah, the, if you if you watch the AI cars kind of zoom off into the into the distance, which usually happens because you are kind of struggling with the controls, um, mm. you can actually see the tire tracks on the floor where they've kind of smashed into the wall constantly, and then carried on. Oh, my word! And, 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 and if you watch, if you if you just literally put make your if you put your car static and just watch the AI vehicles, they'll do the same thing on every lap. It's it's unbelievable. It's, it's actually quite impressive, to be honest, how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bad goodness. game. It, honestly, and the loading times were appalling as well. I mean, we all know how loud the Dreamcast was on the best on a good day, but mm. this game honestly made you believe that your console was going to blow up. It's just, yeah. It, to coin it in a racing term, this game is the absolute pits. It's just terrible. Nice. It really is. So. I when this came up earlier, I couldn't tell if there was sarcasm or not, but I guess that's that answered for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Play Grand Prix Legends instead. It's a much better vintage racing game. It's so much better. Oh, on the Dreamcast, you've Top got. Um, you've oh got... no, that never came out. Sorry, yeah, that's on the PC only. It's a bloody hard game, but it gets it right. It's around the same era as well. I think it must have come out maybe two or three years before, but infinitely better game. There is a, um, a bonus mode within Monaco Grand Prix 2 for the Dreamcast, which has yes. period cars, which is a, fun, a far better game than Spirit of Speed is, and it's only a side sort of game. Hmm. Oh dear. Well, we know what to get instead. So basically avoid Spirit of Speed at all costs, <laughs> unless you want to laugh at it, I suppose. Um, <laughs> um, that, was, that was fun. I've, I've heard so much about how terrible this game was um, it's kind of like a, an in-joke in the Dreamcast community um, but yeah it's, it's always funny to to talk about it um, so I'm hoping we're going to get more rants from you in the future Rich yeah I think I might do that yeah I'm a bit of a ranty yeah. person I seem nice but Let's I'm actually that. quite a misery so <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course at some point in the future as well Steve will uh, have his own segment because you know co-hosts have to have their own bit so um, I'm sure you've got some sure some um, stuff in your noggin. I'd I'd like a recurring segment where I criticise Shenmue, if that's okay. <laughs> I suppose you've had to pitch that to you. <laughs> the, the Shenmue half hour. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, Steve won't be back for the next podcast. And, uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, that was uh, that was great. I think there's so much we could talk about still, and um, I'm sure if Tom would like to, I'm sure we'd get him back at some point. We need to do a Dreamcast Part Two deep dive. So uh, yeah. if you want to join us for that, Tom, I'd love to. you're more than welcome yeah, to. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Fantastic. All right. Well, um, Tom, I'm no- I know that you're not a social media person, so I was going to say, where can we find you online? But I don't think we can. Um, well, you can find me at the Dreamcast Junkyard. I'm contactable through the through the website uh, or the blog. Of course. Um, but yeah, if you want to follow 
the, the site on, on Twitter, you can do. It's at the Dreamcast, no, at the DC Junkyard. Um, or just type Dreamcast Junkyard into Google and you'll find it. Lovely. And it's a fantastic site. And also the Dream Pod is uh, a great uh, a great podcast as well. Okay. Uh, I think you were on it uh, an episode or two ago, weren't you? I was, yeah. I can't take a lot of credit for it because I don't really do it anymore. Uh, my esteemed mm. colleagues, uh, Kev and Mike, uh, take the reins uh, now and, and some of the other guys. So uh, uh, shout out to those guys for, for continuing the mantle. Whatever. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, they're doing a great job. Uh, I was on, I think, the last episode we were talking about, I think it was was it horror games we talked about not not last time the time before oh, yeah. it's yeah. uh yeah it's great um and, and lewis i think it was lewis's first hosting gig and he yes. he did really well mm. so awesome um so there you go um rich where can we find you uh you can find me on twitter at dreamcast barber and you can also find me on uh, the switch island as well which is a pretty good podcast yeah it's all right um <laughs> steve where can we find you <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Steve Jack, and you can also find me on the Switch Island. Yeah. Um, you can find me at Oddment84, um, and also the Switch Island, which is which is more than just a bit good. It's 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 damn good. Um, give <laughs> give those guys some love. Um, and you can find Dreamcast uh, Years at Dreamcast Years on Twitter. You can also go to our website DreamcastYears.co.uk, and um, also very soon, hopefully in the next month or two. You'll be able to read a little bit more about the Dreamcast uh, when I bring out my book, uh, Dreamcast Year One, uh, which Tom is also in. And uh, so are the two gents um, also on the podcast. They'll be in there in, in some form or another. So I'm looking forward to having that in everybody's hands. It's going to be great. So with that, I think that's uh, I think that's us. I think we're all done. Um, thanks very much, guys. And um, until next time, keep dreaming. Bye now. Bye. Goodbye.